So welcome back. This is Alan Alexandrov, and I'm the director of the Global Summitry Project, and you can find our activities uh, at globalsummitryproject.com. I and my colleagues have been uh, quite busy undertaking two major research projects. One, the China and the West uh, dialogue process, and secondly, an examination of the progress and lack of progress in the Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs, and you can find our research activity at uh, the globalsummitryproject.com. And you can find all our research activities there at the website. Also, if you have the opportunity, please do review the special issue uh, of uh, Global Summitry, our e-journal, and you can uh, download some or all of the special issue, which is on strengthening global governance by strengthening the G20. It is my real pleasure today Uh, to introduce to you and to bring into the virtual studio our good colleague, Elizabeth Seropoulos. She is going to um, dialogue with me on South Africa and a focus on South Africa's foreign policy. Join me to discuss the state of South Africa, both its foreign policy in the midst of the uh, the Russian war of aggression against Ukraine, Um, South Africa's continuing participation in the uh, the summit, the BRICS, and the state of politics under the continuing governance of the ANC. Elizabeth is the chief executive of the South African Institute of International Affairs. She has led the institute since 2005. Elizabeth is also uh, the editor-in-chief of the journal, South African Journal of International Affairs. Elizabeth has published on various subjects of South African foreign policy. She has a 2020 volume out on values, interests, and power, South African foreign policy in uncertain times. And she also recently completed in collaboration with a number of scholars across the globe, the handbook on development cooperation for achieving the 2030 Agenda. So, join me in welcoming Elizabeth Sideropoulos into the virtual studio to discuss the state of South African politics. So, uh, welcome Elizabeth to the virtual studio to talk about all things South Africa and maybe Southern Africa as well, a little bit. Good to Great to be with you, Alan. Oh, good. Okay, so let's talk about, uh, you know, the kind of the you know, the critical issue, I suppose, in one sense, um, in international relations uh, currently, which is, of course, the the Russian invasion, and really a focus on um, trying to focus a little bit on South Africa's uh, position on that. You you wrote recently that the initially the foreign minister called for Russia to withdraw uh, from the Ukraine only uh, to within a few days of that the statement, withdrawing the statement. And then, of course, that was followed by South Africa's abstention um, at the United Nations General Assembly, 
and a call for negotiation. So, so where is South Africa's position? And more importantly, why is that South Africa's position? So yes, you're 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 quite right, uh, Alan. There was there was a series of mixed messages. Uh, so the Ministry of Foreign Affairs came out with a with a statement that said, please withdraw. You know, or Russia should withdraw on the 24th of of, of February. Um, and and we all thought this was extremely this was the right call to make under the circumstances. And then there was uh, you know the president was asked about it and a bit of toing and froing, and the president kind of indicated that this was not South Africa's position. So there were clearly mixed messages and I think probably a, an absence of coordination within uh, within the government uh, around the position that South Africa uh, should take. I think they were taken, they were caught unawares. I, I think they they didn't believe it would happen, is, 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 is my sense. Um, and then, of course, followed the various votes at the, at the UN General Assembly right. where South Africa abstained and where South Africa also called uh, for negotiations that this, you know, these conflicts we always believe end up at the negotiating table. And so the sooner we can bring everybody to the negotiating table, uh, the better. Clearly, I think, uh, you know, while at, at one level you can understand why South Africa made that comment, and it has been a consistent element of South Africa's foreign policy when it comes to conflict, that it's important to bring the parties to the negotiating table. It's also the case that you can't bring the parties to the negotiating table. You know, there is a, there are timing issues that negotiations are themselves a tool of uh, uh, of advantage or disadvantage and i think knowing what uh, what putin had said over the course uh, not only of the immediate uh, immediately before the invasion but also the year before and over several years i mean we you know one knows that the the objectives there would not have been sorted out by negotiation unless negotiation was necessarily capitulation by the ukrainians why the south africans took this um uh, position um well, I think the, the 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 important point to note here is that, as with the invasion of Crimea and the annexation of Crimea in 2014, South mm -hmm. Africa believes and believed that, you know, this was not about Russia only about uh, seeing this through the prism of Russian aggression. That Russia was provoked. That, in fact, na the way in which NATO mm -hmm. con con uh, continued to push eastwards, uh, 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 not heeding what South Africa considers were important security concerns that Russia had, uh, all of these indicate would 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 show that this is not just about Russia uh, sort of you know invading a, a a country without any provocation. That there was in fact the way in which NATO behaved over over many years and the commitments it made sensible commitments it made early on after the fall of the Soviet Union uh, uh, all led Russia to, to a position where on Ukraine it could no longer um, allow uh, this uh, sort of love affair with uh, with with NATO because it was it was threatening its own position um, clearly that's not you know I think there is nuance particularly coming from Durko about uh, from our Department of International Relations and Cooperation but that's been that's been the narrative also that has come out apart from the official statements that has come out for example from, from comments made by our deputy president in the um, Council of Provinces where he said this was about NATO aggression uh, other other senior government officials have 
indicated a, a similar uh, sort of perspective and also that you know made the point that that russia was our was our supporter during the national liberation struggle i think what is what sort of uh, is concerning more recently is that uh, uh, the defense, and I say more recently because I think on the 8th of, of April, again, the foreign minister basically said that, you know, we do not condone the invasion. You know, we've, we've opted to sort of not align ourselves, but we do not condone the invasion. We, we support uh, territorial integrity of states and so on. But uh, last week, the defense minister accepted an invitation to go to a security conference in Russia. Uh, where there were a number of also other African uh, countries. And that certainly, in the context of what's happening, uh, you know, comes across as, you know, as being aligned, uh, not about, not as being neutral or, or, or non-aligned at all. Well, okay, so let, let's explore that just a little bit more. I mean, I guess the first question is, so um, support, which South Africa has always expressed for a rules-based order. How, how does that conform conform with the current position? I don't quite know what rules-based order means when you've got a country that's just been invaded, and you know, notwithstanding the identification of NATO aggression, there's no uh, military component there. In in you know, there's the material, but there's no there's no on the ground. NATO support no no forces there. I don't quite understand how they square how the government squares the circle on this. Yeah, so I mean, absolutely, and and this is a correct observation and, and one that I've made that this was not uh, you know NATO membership of Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine's membership of NATO was not imminent. That uh, you know it wasn't on the cards for the next NATO summit. You know, in in effect, uh, the you know the, the NATO had kicked the ball uh, uh, down the road. Down the road um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And 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 certainly there was uh, you know there was no deployment of of missiles or certainly no no deployment of of of, of NATO troops so that is correct I think the 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 way in which many South African government officials interpret this is that there was nevertheless um, uh, an unwillingness by NATO by NATO to mm -hmm. say that we are not going to consider Ukraine, that actually, as a member, that actually NATO's uh, borders go as far as they are now. So it's, you know, it's the, the former Warsaw Pact countries, but not the, 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 the former Soviet Union countries, with the exception of the Baltic states. And we're actually not going to go any further. We know all the reasons why the, the NATO would, would not do that. And of course, what I think we also need to emphasize is that Ukraine wanted to join NATO. This is, you know, this is about recognizing also Ukrainian agency. That you know, this is not about just Russia and and, and the West uh, playing a game. Um, but certainly, that's the way in which they've 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 interpreted. Now, on the question of a rules-based uh, international system and, and rules-based order, absolutely, territorial integrity territorial integrity is and sovereignty is at at the very heart of it. And it is also at the very heart of a lot of the principles of South-South cooperation and 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 and, and solidarity, etc., because we know that that was that's you know that, that is that is the antithesis of colonialism, right? And imperialism, you know, all of those things which which the global south 
um, abhors and, and, and has wanted to, to sort of really, really roll back. But what the South Africans will, will say is that, in fact, yes, this, you know, we do not condone this, this, this invasion, which is the words of the foreign minister on the 8th of April. But at the same time, you know, there's been many actions undertaken by the West, by NATO, by, by the US uh, on its own, which actually also go against the rules that uh, are supposed to govern uh, the international order. Uh, and, you know, the, you've probably heard the, the examples. Iraq is, is sure. their top of the list. The other one, of course, is Libya. And from yeah. an African perspective, Libya is, is really continues to be, I think, a very sore point. Uh, it's, it's a wound. Uh, uh, it's a wound on the, on, on the face of, of, of the continent. Of course, South Africa in that, in that UN, uh, Security Council resolution supported 1973. Uh, which was for a no-fly zone, but then really felt that the West did not give diplomacy an opportunity. That right. the West was was uh, was dead set on 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 sort of overthrowing Gaddafi, and 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 therefore, and then that's what happened. And the consequences of that are now being um, faced across the Sahel, in Mali, in uh, in Niger, mm -hmm. in northern Nigeria, etc., right across. Uh, uh, the continent uh, uh, around the belt at the top as a result of the creation of the security vacuum um, mm -hmm. in, uh, in in Africa. So the, the U.S. has a lot to answer for in terms of the rules-based system because it supports it, it upholds it, it argues for it when it suits it, but it ignores it when it doesn't. Yeah, that's fair, although you got to say one error doesn't shouldn't lead to another error. And that's, no, that's the dilemma. And I suppose kind of the last piece of this, how much do you think it, it, you know, all of this kind of comes down to, you know, particularly the ANC's view, <coughs> positive view, uh, particularly of the Soviet position, obviously earlier and now Russia, um, on support for the national liberation struggle. How much does that, you know, longstanding view positive view uh, continue to impact the way in which South Africa reacts to actions by uh, by Russia? I think that is an important, uh, it is an important factor. Uh, and certainly in the case of, of, of Ukraine and of Crimea uh, earlier, this, mm -hmm. this has come out in, in, in both uh, uh, many of the uh, uh, sort of statements or, or comments made by senior government officials. It's, it's come out in statements made, for example, by the South African Communist Party, which is part, <laughs> part of, of the tripartite, yeah, tripartite alliance of the ANC, uh, SACP, and Kasatu, which are the which is is the trade union. Mm -hmm. It's it, it's not you know it hasn't been for example if you were to look at the formal statements now in the UN General Assembly that's not that's not part of the the argumentation. But it is there is a, a sense of, of 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 solidarity of 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 desire to to not call uh, Russia out uh, uh, by many, I think, uh, senior government officials because of the support that it gave uh, during the national liberation struggle. It's also important um, to note, of course, that, you know, at one level, I suppose, abstention was certainly much better than voting for it. So I think we shouldn't also overplay. Okay. <laughs> 
right. apply that. But that's definitely an element. I mean, one of the ministers, for example, said at a, at a national day uh, for one of one of the NATO countries, in fact, you know, she, she, and it was felt to be rather tone deaf. You know, she remembered fondly sort of. Uh, uh, spending time in Moscow and learning, it was in the context of learning another language, and, and you know she, because uh, the minister learned uh, learned Russian, uh, and 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 so there, that is still there, and 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 the ANC is quite loyal to some of its key supporters during the national liberation struggle. Cuba being another example. Okay, all right. Um, let's turn to to the BRICS. I take it that South Africa views the BRICS as an important kind of entity and that um the question is um how important is it i mean for instance does south africa the the, the most does it support um the expansion of the brics and why what what it, what does south africa see as a value for it uh in in the in the brics summitry so South Africa hasn't uh, uh, sort of made a, a, a statement, a public statement about, you know, whether it supports um, the, the expansion of the BRICS uh, or not. Certainly the expansion of the BRICS uh, is something that, that China views favorably. Um, yes. I, I thought it was uh, it's, it's interesting that every time China uh, chairs the BRICS, uh, there is some talk about expansion. So the first time it chaired it, in fact, the expansion happened. And it was South Africa. South that Africa in 2011. Yeah, yeah that, uh, right. that joined. Um, it uh, chaired the BRICS again, I think, in 2016, I think. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And there it, 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 it sort of announced an idea about creating, you know, what I would call concentric circles of, of, of Southern countries uh, mm -hmm. building on cooperation, a uh, South-South cooperation, and, and it called it, you know, it said the BRICS Plus. So there, there were a group of countries that were invited to a BRICS Plus uh, forum. And of course, this year, with its chairing of the BRICS, it says, no, no, we need to really think about expanding it. I see that as, as very much part of the way in which China, I think, is seeing various groupings of which it is a member. Yes. Um, China, the BRICS is not the most important grouping, but it is a very important grouping. It is representative of some of the more important countries in the global south. And here I'm talking not about Russia, but I'm talking about Brazil, South Africa, and 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 India. India it, uh, yeah. it creates uh, an, a, a sort of, uh, and with the new development bank, it creates opportunities for for cooperation uh, in uh, perhaps um, on 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 areas or, or projects that might have been a little bit more political or more problematic had it not gone through safe such an institution um and it and it and it allows it really to to build its its partnerships its friendships its alliances by sort of being seen to be inclusive so the BRICS becomes the nucleus of 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 something that um is about bringing together developing economies um for i mean for South Africa, clearly, you know, at, at, we're, we're the smallest of, of, of the BRICS countries. What is important for us in the BRICS is that we are among uh, a number of countries that uh, on a number of issues we um, we have similar we face similar challenges and here I'm thinking specifically about India and and, and Brazil in terms of developmental challenges um, and 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 of course uh, China uh, to some extent. Um, but mm -hmm. these are all 
systemically important countries. They're members of the G20. Uh, in the case of India and Brazil, uh, you know, there is also a push for greater representation and reform of the UN Security Council. That's important, although South Africa has never been part of the G4 that have pushed for reform of the Security Council, always sort of adopting and pushing the Africa position, the Ezzawini consensus on that. And these are countries that want to see a less unipolar, less uh, US-centric world. It's about multipolarity. And, and this grouping creates, creates can be seen almost as a counterweight yeah. uh, um, to that. And, and, and certainly some countries are, are keener to push that perspective than others. But for South Africa wanting, and it's, and it's been an, an enduring feature of its foreign policy post-1994, about wanting to create, uh, wanting to emphasize the importance of multilateralism, but also of multipolarity, this grouping is, is a way of advancing some of these objectives, some of these values that, that South Africa has, has adopted. But, but there's the G20 as well for South Africa. Um, yes. So... Yes. Yes, there is, and and it is about looking at various uh, various groupings and various instruments okay. to for uh, your foreign policy. Okay. Um, you know, we also have, I think, a you know a series of of formal, you know, very formalized engagements. For example, with the European Union. Uh, you know, uh, it's not we're not a grouping, but you know, yeah. EU South Africa strategic partnership, EU Africa strategic partnership. So I think it's it's also looking at at, at different instruments to to utilize in our foreign policy for different objectives. Okay, all right. Um, so let's let's turn a little bit more uh, here towards the end of our conversation on South Africa itself and w where it's at. Um, I guess uh, the, the critical question is, you know, um, there has been evident um, um, difficulties in the government's efforts to Im improve um, the unemployment situation, to uh, really grow uh, South Africa's economy. I mean, where are we uh, in that, Elizabeth? How effective has the current government under Ramaphosa been in kind of improving uh, overall productivity and economic growth in, in South Africa, and the, most particularly the reduction of unemployment? Yeah, I mean, this has been this has been a big challenge uh, since uh, since the start of, of democracy. There was some um, improvement in the uh, in the unemployment, certainly in poverty, in the poverty rates, a reduction in the poverty rates over time. Um, you know, just just to mention that South Africa probably has one of the biggest social welfare mm -hmm. systems in the world, not in terms of uh, um, uh, sort of the amount of money that individuals get. But the reach, money, right. But the reach. I mean, about 17 million people or 17 million um, uh, beneficiaries, some of them might be duplicate because they might be getting, for example, right. they're right. getting an old age pension, but they might also be getting something for their grandchildren because they're looking after their grandchildren. So that's been extremely effective, and it's helped to really keep people who have no jobs uh, uh, really above, uh, well, at, you know, at the poverty line or just above the poverty line. So extremely effective. Um, however, 
while we made some inroads into into unemployment uh, in the in the early years of our democracy uh, under the Mandela and the Mbeki years, um, I think first the global financial crisis in 2008-2009, and obviously we, we were on the tail end of it, so it only began to manifest a year or so later, but then also coupled with the, what we call the state capture of the Zuma years, the, the corruption, the, um, the, the utilization of, of the instruments of state to advance very particular uh, economic interests, all of those haven't helped the economy. The decisions uh, around, for example, generation of, of, of power, renewables, uh, uh, telecoms, infrastructure have all uh, not moved as quickly as they could. I think, um, uh, and then of course, uh, uh, Ramaphosa uh, came into power in 2018. I mm -hmm. think uh, there was certainly a sense that this would uh, reinvigorate uh, the the policies that I, you know, I think we have some good policies on the table, but really the implementation and mm -hmm. speed implementation and work closely with the private sector because that was also important. You know, South Africa has a strong private sector. Jobs are going to be created by the private sector. They're not being going to be created by the public sector, but the public sector is now bloated in certain sectors anyway. Mm -hmm. And and then and and that didn't move as quickly. And then, of course, the pandemic hit at the beginning of 2020. And so the situation we're facing now is where in the mid 2000s we probably had an unemployment rate of and I and I, I you know I I'm not I can't remember the exact figures, but sitting in the 20s, 24, 25 percent, we are now sitting at an unemployment rate in the 30s, 34, mm -hmm. 35. And if you you take into account um, people who have given up. Looking for jobs, yes. uh, our unemployment rate goes up to into the 40s, 44, 45. And what is even more tragic is that our youth, the unemployment among our youth is very high. It's mm -hmm. sort of sitting at the 60% level. And that really is, uh, is a function of an economy that is not creating jobs, but it is also, or not jobs in the right sectors, because jobs are being created, and, and, and certainly even in the early 2000s, but we also have a failure of our education system. If we look back at the that last nearly 30 years now of our democracy, if there is one failing that will we will have to live through for another generation, at least unless we start get turning the ship around, is really our ability to educate uh, uh, um, our youth on in, in ways that they're able to enter the labour market, but not only look for a job, but also critically create jobs. And I think that's been one of the big uh, of the big disappointments of the last 30 years, that for many people who have lived in poverty during apartheid, life has not improved much. They've had political freedom, but the economic freedom has, has still to come. Part of that is also the fact that it's really difficult to, to sort of wipe out the legacy of apartheid in 30 years, and I think we have to recognise that. If you just think of spatial, of, of the spatial issues we have where people have to pay so much to travel into the cities where there are jobs. Um, but there is also a component that is about government needing to be accountable for the failings, uh, for many policy failings uh, uh, in this regard. And, mm -hmm. and, and one of, I think, the biggest challenges is the issue of accountability. So, you know, state capture... Uh, you know, we we might arrest uh, people who are the little guys in the process, but the big guys sort of 
tend to get away with it. But I suppose that's that's something we see all over the world. Yeah, that's but true. We can't afford at the moment in South Africa. Is it you know just to to wind up? Is there a sense that the ANC and Zuma, or sorry, uh, Ramaphosa in particular, have been successful in uh, kind of turning the ship around, or is there still a sense of, you know, real foreboding in the in the numbers and in and in the actual policy uh, of the government, with particularly with respect to education and and jobs and so forth. Yeah, no, there isn't. Uh, at the moment, um, the, the next election is in 2024, and the most recent polls would indicate that the ANC will fall below 50%. Wow. In fact, into the low 40, uh, potentially. And again, it depends who turns out to vote, as, as sure. we know. You know it's, uh, um, and they got a big shock in uh, with the local government elections two years ago in, in 2019. No, 2021. I think it was last year. Okay. <laughs> I think COVID, COVID is affecting me. Um, um, but certainly they got a big shock where they've basically lost most of the big metros, uh, metropolitan uh, cities. So they no longer uh, govern uh, Johannesburg uh, or Pretoria, Tswani, uh, all the East Rand uh, municipalities in, in, in that part of the of the world. They, they haven't been governing uh, Cape Town for a long time. Right. So they... It really so this is this is a, a turning point. I think many in the ANC realize that. But the ANC has been a broad church, and these the different sort of factions and fractures within the ANC are what uh, President Ramaphosa has been trying to balance, uh, so that the party doesn't sort of uh, you know fragment uh, and 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 fray, and then perhaps also lose to either the left or the right. Mm-hmm. Um, but in doing so, I think he is uh, constrained in in some uh, bold political decisions that need to be taken, which might be good for the country overall, but might not be good for the ANC. Hmm. Well, I want to thank you, Elizabeth, for giving us such a helpful insight into the South African uh, government and its uh, some of its foreign policies as well. It's a great pleasure to have you with us um, here uh, today. That was great. Uh, great, Alan. It was great talking to you. <laughs>